Welcome to The Well Podcast. We pray that this message ministers to you and blesses you as you listen. Heavenly Father God, I pray as I release this word and the scripture and the text, Father, that you have laid on my heart, Father, that it finds a warm and receptive heart, Father, one that's been softened through your presence, one that has had those hard areas pulverized with your presence, Lord, that that seed will find good ground, that it will, it will plant at the right depth, be watered in the right amount, Father, and it will grow into a harvest greater than we can imagine. So Lord, I ask that you would just fill the room right now with your presence. Bless your word this morning, and I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want you to turn this morning, Matthew 17, verse 20. And um, uh, and hopefully I'll come up on the screen. Somebody let me know if you see something similar there, something you've heard this morning, like two minutes ago. Katie saw it. Anybody else see it? Mustard seed, yeah. Now, of all the texts in the Bible, uh, mustard seed, I think, comes up precisely twice. Uh, it's in two different chapters in the Bible. Maybe, maybe it's more. I believe it's just twice, though. So it always amazes me when, when the Lord says, here, let me just drop this word in, into the atmosphere. And, um, and then since I spent days reading and researching and that kind of stuff on this same scripture. Um, and, and, and I'm just going just gonna to drop this in there because somebody needs to know, somebody needs to receive this, somebody needs to hear this word today, and I don't know who it is. Hopefully it's not just me that, that, that receives from this, but hopefully it finds a warm and welcome spot in somebody's heart today. So Matthew 17, 20 says, and this is Jesus speaking. It's not read on the screen. It is in my Bible. But it says, you don't have enough faith. That's kind of harsh coming from Jesus. But, you know, he had to, he had to deal with a lot of difficult people. He had to deal with people whose, whose hearts were in the wrong place, who were doing things for the wrong motives. But, in fact, who he's talking to, if you read the rest of Matthew 17, these are his disciples that he's talking to. He says, you don't have enough faith. I released you in Matthew 10 to go into the house of Israel to cleanse the lepers, to heal those who are sick. And you brought back a report that you did these things and you were amazed. And yet in Matthew 17, we learn that this man comes to the disciples and he has this son who has seizures. And the disciples were not able to healing. After blind eyes being opened and deaf ears being opened, the disciples were powerless to do anything in this circumstance. And they, they want to know why, and they come to Jesus, and he says, you don't have enough faith. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that would really rock my world. And we've seen a few miracles in this house, and I've seen a few more outside of this house that has caused my faith to rise and caused you know, great things to happen in my heart, and there's an expectation when God moves that he's going to do something amazing. But, you know, I can be like these disciples, and I can still pray and not see it happen. And we probably all have that experience. 
But I've never had the Lord speak to me in those moments and say, you don't have enough faith. But here are the disciples, the ones who are charged verbally from his mouth, who stood with him and walked with him, and they don't have enough faith. And so this scripture kind of put me into a place in the last couple of weeks where I really just struggled with this. It's like, what is faith? How do we get it? Where does it come from? And how do we get more of it? And then Jesus says this. He says, I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. And nothing would be impossible. Now, I'm pretty sure in the context of this, this is still a criticism of the level of faith that they had. But what Jesus is literally saying and what may have actually happened is that in Israel, mustard is an herb and it grows literally wild. And so Jesus may have literally walked over to a mustard plant and pulled off a seed and said, if your faith was even this big, you could say to that mountain over there, move from here to there and it would move. And yet they didn't have enough faith. And I look at that and I go, if this is the disciples, if this is the apostles that we're talking about, what chance do I have? And so it's been a bit of a struggle. Because I look at this and I go, what is faith? And, and, and if I asked any of you, what is faith? You would probably give an answer that's like, well, it's what we believe in. But I would say, is it? Because I think faith goes a little bit deeper, deeper than that. And I want to show you that today. And at some point during this week, there was another text that came to my memory. And so I had to look it up and I want to share it here. And it's Hebrews eleven six. And I think I've got a different version than what you'll see. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So now it's imperative that we have faith. Now it's imperative that we have faith. Because even in this moment, you can see Jesus as he, as he t- spoke to the, the apostles here. There's an emphasis in this text where he is not happy. And so, so if I know a loving father who has my best interest in heart, who knows every hair on my head, who has taken time out of his day to write my name in the Lamb's book of life, that the word says he cares about the, the birds in the air, how much more would he care about me? I want to make my father proud. I want to I love on him. I want to be there for him. I want to be the vessel that he can pour out into. We sung about that this morning. And the thing that came to my heart this morning is, is when it said, you know, um, I don't remember the lyric of the song, but it talked about, about being the vessel that God can use. And I immediately thought about the wedding where he turned the water into wine. And the reason I thought about that and it convicted me a little bit is that he used stone containers. And if you know what these stone containers are, these are ritual cleansing containers. And the reason that they're made out of stone is because the, the, the thought of the day was that the stone was incorruptible. 
meaning that if they poured clean, running, living water out of the stream into these jars, it would retain its purity. And so then they could use it in their, their purification washing that they would do, in their ceremonial washing. And I look at that, and, and, and we say, yeah, Lord, use me. I want to be a vessel that you can use. And yet how many of us have spoiled containers? How many of us hang on to things in this world and in this life that we just can't let go of or we're unwilling to let go of that are keeping us from being pure vessels that he could use? So what is faith? It's more, more than belief. If we look at Hebrews chapter 11, you guys probably know this. Now faith is the, of things hoped for the, of things not seen. So what is faith? I didn't really clarify it for anyone, did it? It's, it's substance, it's a thing, it's a something. So I, I looked at this and I go, it's, it's, I still don't know what it is. So I got to dig a little bit deeper. And so, and so the first thing I did was I, I went, this was the, the King James or the New King James, and then I went to the NLT, which is usually my go-to, which I've been a little disappointed in in this study, to be perfectly honest. Because, the, unfortunately, the, the English language is just a, it's just a sour language. It is like German. It's just blunt. It'll, it'll say something, and, and you look at this, and you go, it's, it's a substance. So it's a thing, right? We should be able to touch it. We should be able to hold it, and that kind of thing. But this word substance, or in the NLT, it says the reality of things. Well, that doesn't help. It's the reality of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's not really helping me right now to get a picture of what faith really is. But this word substance, if you go back to the Greek and you go, okay, what does the Greek really mean? And I don't know why. There's probably theologians that are much better at this than I am. But I go back to that word, and one of the other meanings for that word is assurance. Assurance. It's the assurance of things hoped for. It means that, that when I go to God in prayer and I say, Lord, I can't see what's going on. It looks like a mess around me. But I know it's in your hands, and so I'm turning it over to you with the assurance that your hand is going to move, that I'm going to see something change, that these challenges and these hurdles are going to be knocked down. My path is going to be made straight, and I am going to overcome this challenge that's before me. So it's the assurance that we gain, and that's a little bit different than a belief. Because one of the other things that I struggled with is, like, it's faith and absolute. Or can you have, like, a percentage of faith? Can you, can you have, like, 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 if we look at the weather, right, there's a 40% chance of rain tomorrow. And you might look outside and go, well, I believe it's going to be a good day. But do you have faith? Do you have an assurance that it's going to be a good day? <laughs> well, there you go. Right? But it might rain, it might not, right? I'm 40% you know, positive that it's not going to rain, right? Or I'm 60% positive it's going to be a good day. But when we're talking about faith, can you be 60% confident in faith? 
Can you have a 60% faith? And if you can, what's the other 40%? Well, what's the opposite of faith? It's a doubt. Can you have doubt and faith coexist on the same thing? It seems reasonable to me, right? I, I, I'm 70% faithful that that's going to happen. And I've only got 30% doubt, so we're probably good. No, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It doesn't. So to me, faith is an absolute. You either have faith or you do not. Now, that's a bit challenging because the scripture talks about growing in faith. So let's go back and let's look at faith in the original language. And where I looked it up, I went all the way back to the Greek. And the Greek is so neat because, because all of these other languages are filled with much more emphasis on feeling and emotion and those kind of things that we somewhat lack in the English language. And so if you go back to the Greek, this word faith is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. Now there's all kinds of forms and different things. You can add a, probably not in Greek, but an E-D or an E-S or whatever, right? There's all these different forms, but the root word is pistis. And this word, pistis, this word for faith, means being persuaded to certainty. Now, we don't use certainty a lot nowadays, right? How's my 401k going to be next month? I don't know. What's the weather going to be like in a week? I don't know. Is my car going to start when I get out to the parking lot? I hope so. But (laughs) some of you are like, no, probably not. (laughs) But this word for faith, this word pistis, means persuaded to certainty. So when you, when you look in the text, and, and, the, and, and I'll say the, the King James, New King James, NLT, they're probably all this way. They're not real consistent in using faith every time they have that. Someone's decided that in English the word believe is a good alternate for faith. But when you see believe and you see faith, chances are it's that same root word. This word pistis is in there, I think, like 300 and some times in the New Testament. Coincidentally, it is not in the Old Testament. This is a New Testament word. Obviously, they had Hebrew. There's no word in Hebrew for faith. The words that are similar that that would be this idea of believe talk about being firm, like a firm foundation. Like you're going to hold on to something firmly, right? And the same thing, like if you're going to believe in God, you're going to believe firmly in God. And in the Old Testament, the, the nature of or the, or the definition of faith or when you see faith in the Old Testament is really more aligned to this idea of being firm in something. Well, even something that's firm is not certain. You can go get a firm pillow, a firm mattress, and it's still got a little give to it. Now, in the pure sense of the word, I don't know that the writers in Hebrew really thought about that, and they thought about how we would use the word today. But what I'm trying to convey here is that this word pistis and this word for faith means persuaded to certainty. There is no doubt. Which, again, still doesn't clarify the whole thing. 
Because we can, we can have faith and still not have that assurance, have that certainty. We can still pray for someone to get through this thing, to uh, uh, be healed, whatever it is, right? But there's still a little doubt. So uh, just a note here, and I, I thought this is good. Belief in the text and in our lives often comes from our head. Faith always comes from the heart. Right? Now, we can use the language differently. I can say I can have faith that's not going to rain tomorrow and still have doubt. Right? But when we think about faith and where it comes from, faith always comes from the heart. And faith is a gift. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. You didn't do anything to save you except maybe survive. Jesus reached out and the Lord tugged on your heart and called your name and got your interest and said, Hey, I, I need to talk to you. I want to tell you about my son, Jesus. I want to tell you how he came and paid a debt you couldn't pay. And so this faith is a gift of God. And the cool thing is, is that once you have faith, once you have a measure of faith, Romans 12, 3 talks about everyone being given a measure of faith. And I think that's one of those things that when you come to that, that moment of salvation, when you come to when you first believe that the Lord came and paid your debt and that you're redeemed and you're now into the, the family of God and you make Jesus Lord of your life, maybe not even fully understanding what that means because we're all walking that out. I hadn't met anyone yet that fully understands what that means. They might be able to talk to you or whatever, but have they laid down their life? Have they laid down everything and fully committed themselves to it? But everyone is given a measure of faith. And here's the cool thing about it, is that that measure of faith unlocks more faith. Let's look at Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. And I had to put 16 in for a little, just a little context here. But it says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Drop down to 17. For in it, the gospel of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Meaning that as he reveals himself in the gospel, in the good news of Christ, he takes you from a measure of faith to another measure of faith. And that's why we can, we can come in like we did this morning and we can sing songs and we can lift up the name of the Lord and something about the atmosphere is just elevated. And we can probably all remember the day when we sat on the back row, a little uncomfortable to be in church, not knowing who Jesus was, not knowing him as Lord and Savior. And we sat back there and all this happened around us and it just looked like confusion. It's because we didn't have that initial measure of faith. But then when you have that measure of faith, there's a change that happens in you. Your, your heart gets unlocked. Your head gets unlocked. Your understanding gets unlocked. And now when you see that move, you go, look at the faith rise. Look at those people respond to the call of God and the presence of God in the room. And so it's through the, the songs and the praise that we can gain faith. 
And it's through the word that we can gain faith. Hearing comes, faith comes by hearing and hearing from, I'm butchering this one, hearing by the word of God, right? Well, I got tongue-tied there. So, so we get faith in his presence when we sing and glorify him, when we praise him, when we get into the word and the scripture and we read and that, that word just opens up. How many of y'all in your BC days <clears throat> read the Bible and understood it? How many of y'all would read the Bible in your, I'm trying to find a parallel for BC, I don't know what to use there. in your Christ days and can now read it and it just opens up and it's revealed to you. Makes a difference, right? Your born again days, your BA days. Made that up. Thank you, sister. So that initial measure of faith does something to prepare the soil of our hearts and allow us to step into this and allow God's revelation through his text, through his word, through his name, through encouraging one another, to speaking the word to one another, to praying with a brother and sister. It allows that to open up and just expand within us. And faith leads us to seek his presence. You see, when we get that, that first taste of the presence of the Lord and we receive that bit of wisdom, there is a natural, like, magnetic attraction that just wants us to go back and we need to find out more. And then when we get a little more of that and we get a little more understanding, it unlocks new things. And then we start reading the Greek and it starts asking more questions and more questions and more questions. And we just, there's a hunger that develops. And if you're not... Feeling that hunger, I invite you to dig into the word. Because the, the text says that he is going to be a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So you want a reward for your efforts in seeking the Lord? It's promised in the text. So, we get back to where we started, and that's in Matthew 17. And back to the story that started this whole thing for me, anyway. And that's the boy that had the seizures and the prayers that didn't get answered. And I think we've probably all had those times in our life where we have prayed for somebody, and we have earnestly prayed for them, and and, and we have sought the Lord and, and just asked him to move, and yet we see nothing. And so there's a couple things in the text here that, that, that give us an insight into why our prayers might not get answered the way that we expect them to. And that's important, too. We, we can go to Hebrews 11. It's called the faith chapter. And it's important to understand that in that faith chapter, they, they go back through the, the Abels and the Abrahams and the Sarahs and the Moses and all of those who are kind of the anchors of the faith. And you get down to the end of Hebrews 11 and it says, but they passed on without ever receiving the promise. You see, because, because the, the, one of the key things that we have to know about God is that he is sovereign. 
right? We, we might ask for something out of our li- limited knowledge and understanding, and God looks at this and goes, I would love to. But you don't see the generations. You don't see the generations of, of hindrances that unlocking that would do. Yeah, that, that new job, you want to move to Florida, right, and live in the, in the condo and, and be on the beach every afternoon, but you don't see the detriment that that's going to do generation after generation after generation. You see, God is more interested in kingdom than he is kinship. He's more interested in, in making sure that the kingdom is well-established than being your best friend. And so there's a, a certain amount of, of sovereignty that God has to have in all of those prayers. Now, does he, does he want people healed? Absolutely. Absolutely he does. I think about the leper that came to him and said, if it's your will, and he says, I'm willing. Let me get back to my text here. Matthew chapter 17. Let's start in verse 16. And this is the the gentleman speaking. He says, so I brought him, meaning his son, with seizures to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. And Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people. So so this word faithless and corrupt, this phrase faithless and corrupt, some of your your Bibles might actually substitute a word for faithless, and it might even say unbelief. And then that word corrupt might be substituted for perverse. The meaning of both of those are that they didn't have the faith. It wasn't established where they should have it, where they believing in, in what they had seen, or were they believing in the God who had allowed them to see it. And then it says corrupt here, which speaks to their heart. I'm reminded of the, the scripture that says you ask, you have not because you ask not, which means we ought to be asking. But at the same time, it, it, it says, and you do not receive, this is in James chapter four, verse number three, it says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. So there, there is a certain attitude and posture of our heart that we need to come to the Lord. If we're asking him out of selfish motivations, if we're asking him to do something that is going to glorify us and not God, if it's going to do anything to diminish God in the sight of you or others, then I'm pretty sure he's not going to follow through on what you're asking for. But if it's something where he can get the glory for him, for his name, for his kingdom... And it's going to cross glory for his kingdom. You better believe he's going to do it. So, so unbelief can hinder our prayers. Think about Jesus and he went to his hometown. He was able to go all through Israel and do all these miracles. And yet he gets to his hometown and they look at him and go, wasn't this the carpenter's son? And meanwhile, he walks through Jerusalem. They're going, Jesus, son of David, not son of Joseph, son of David. You have blind Bartimaeus that can't see him, but yet recognizes him. Because blind Bartimaeus knew the scriptures and knew what was going to unfold, and he was looking for the day when the Messiah would come. 
And he hears of the gospel. He hears the good news of Jesus walking in the streets. And suddenly, blind Bartimaeus thinks about all the scriptures that are confirmed, all the prophecy that's confirmed. Everything about him just suddenly says, this is the Messiah. And so he's on the side of the road, and he hears the crowd saying, Jesus is coming. And so he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people are telling him, no, no, hush, you're being too loud, you're being disruptive. Don't bother the teacher. Think about the woman with the issue of blood. Twelve years it says she suffered. Twelve years she sought help. Undoubtedly she went to the temple, she saw the priests. She saw the doctors, she, she saw the mystics, she saw whoever she could see to try to take care of this issue and had no relief. And yet by her own admission, she says, if only I can touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. It wasn't go and ask him. It wasn't, it wasn't um, you know, if maybe I could have a conversation with him. She had confidence. She had faith that through her obedience and her movement, pressing through the crowd of people that, that wanted to push her down. Twelve years sick, and she's pushing through the healthy crowd. And the thing that really stuck out to me as I looked at this and thought about this again was that crowd was probably the people that should have been helping her. And I think about how we treat people and how we lift up people today. And are we being a roadblock for somebody else or are we identifying those that have been sick and hurting who have sought for years to overcome an addiction, to overcome depression, to overcome a circumstance in their family, who have labored for years and been stuck in something and all they need is someone to turn around and go, hey, can I, can I help you? I know a man. I know a man. Stand with me, I'm done. You see, there's something about this woman that I really admire. And that's because she had a singular purpose for that day, for that moment. She had been searching for years for an answer. And when she realized the answer was right in front of her, there was nothing that was going to stop her from getting to that answer. It didn't matter what other people said. It didn't matter that, 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 that they were pushing her out of the way. They wanted to, to be closer to Jesus. I can imagine there was a lot of pushing and shoving in the crowd. It even is kind of reflected in the text when Jesus says, who touched me? And the people closest to him said, who touched you? Are you kidding? He did and he did and he did and he did. And he did. We all touched you. We're all being pushed around in this crowd. And he says, no. He says, you bumped into me. But somebody was seeking me with all they had. 
And someone put a demand on me this morning. And when they finally push through the crowd, when they overcome every obstacle on their path, they touch me. And it was in that moment, the text reveals that Jesus turned around. And this woman, knowing the law, knowing that she would have been considered unclean and she would have defiled every person that she came in contact with. It says she trembled. She trembled on the ground. And Jesus turns to her. And he doesn't say, I forgive you, I this. He doesn't use I. He says, your faith has made you whole. So this morning, if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, and you feel that tug at your heart, it's as easy as ABC. One, you have to admit that you're a savior. You're a savior. You're a sinner in need of a savior. You've fallen short of the righteous criteria of God. And let me tell you, if that speaks to your heart this morning, we have all been there. There's no shame in that. And then two, you've got to believe. Believe that Jesus went before you. He went to the cross to redeem you from the sin, to pay a price that you could not pay to redeem you into the kingdom of heaven. And then you've got to commit yourself to him. You've got to let that belief settle in your heart, receive that first measure of faith, and commit yourself to following him. And for other of you this morning, maybe you're like the woman with the issue of blood. Maybe you have been waiting for an answer. You have been seeking an answer. You have been striving and doing everything you know to do. And still it persists. And so I would ask you this morning, is he the single pursuit? Is he the answer you're looking for? Are you determined to press through all the naysayers, press through all of the people that says you're not going to make it, you can't do that, you can't afford it, you can't go there? You'll never get over that addiction, you'll never get free of that? Are you determined this morning to push through the crowd, to push through all the naysayers, to push through all of those things that have been spoken over you? grab the hem of his garment. We want to thank you for listening in today. At The Will, we believe in cultivating a culture for more of God. Wherever you are in your relationship and walk with God, we believe that there is always more for those who diligently seek after him. If you would like to find out more, please check out our website at thewellmichigan.com and connect with us on social media.